Welcome to episode 10 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio as always by my good friend, my co-host, the man who knows how to just get things done around here at Grace College and Theological Seminary, the guru of the Ministry Studies blended program here at Grace College and Theological Seminary, and our resident expert on the global epidemic sweeping the world, John Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well, it is a lovely Tuesday morning here on the campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary. Spring break right now? Yeah, so... Uh, that could mean that suddenly in the middle of this episode that below us, the worship arts studio erupts oh in goodness, some sort yeah. of musical performance. So we'll have to monitor that. But uh, the fact that it is, as we record this episode, early March means that we are rapidly approaching March Madness. March Madness, yeah. So if you fast forward through all the sports things, uh, don't do that because we're not going to have a lot of a lot of sports topics today. Yeah. But whether you whether you really enjoy college basketball or whether you don't enjoy college basketball, I'm going to encourage you to join us for our various and sundry podcast uh, March Madness tournament. Uh, the whole college basketball world is is all over the place right now. So the the tournament could go one of a thousand different it's ways. one of the most wide open years I have ever seen. So uh, if you don't know anything, jump in there, pick a winner, and uh, and we'll see. And uh, you're giving away a book, right, for the winner. Yeah, if, uh, if you are fortunate enough to win the bracket competition, uh, we will send you a signed copy of one of my books. Now, of course, if it's one of my family members, they're like... I've they're not necessarily, that. yeah. <laughs> so they're just going to get bragging rights, probably. But in any case, we'll uh, we'll hook you up with some with, with some merch. And uh, and if you look in the show notes, we'll have a link where you can follow to get to that bracket. Join uh, right now, uh, Doc. It's just you and me in there, so we're yeah. uh, we're we're doing well. We got two people, <laughs> uh, but we're hoping for a lot more, and uh, we're hoping to get a lot of our listeners and excited to interact with them a little bit and and. See what they're like. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what is the uh, what is the information now? The brackets have not yet been released as of this day that we're recording here on March tenth. But you can still go ahead and sign up and get registered. That's right. And so, what's the information that our listeners can go to there? So it's it's on Yahoo. So you'll need a, a Yahoo account. Uh, and our our bracket is called the Various and Sundry Podcast. Uh, the password is. All lowercase Grace Seminary, one word, uh, and the group number is eight seven four two. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, we'll tweet that out, and you can follow us at at VNS Pod. Um, and if you have questions or if you're struggling, you can email us at variousandsundrypodcast at gmail and we'd be more than happy to help you. Yeah, we'd love to see a large number of our listeners participate in this, and uh, just an encouragement that even if you don't know the first thing about college basketball, in my experience, people who are in that situation often perform quite well in these bracket competitions, much to the frustration of people like me who pay attention to college basketball and find that ends up being ultimately a disadvantage sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I've found that to be true also. So in lieu of a more extended sports uh, segment— we are going to dive right in to a story that, uh, again, I'll just say, 
We were way out in front of this story. About we beat the, the national media about to this, the coronavirus. Really. Yeah. If if the national media would just pay attention to us, that's right. They would know where they should be reporting well in advance. And so, we are going to talk a little bit more about the coronavirus, which obviously has moved from one of those stories that's kind of like, oh, that's kind of happening overseas, and that's uh, something that I should maybe be loosely aware of to becoming the dominant uh, story in our news cycle here in the United States. And so I thought we'd start with, why don't you give us sort of the the latest numbers as of uh, this morning here on March 10th? Yeah, what what sort of numbers do you want uh, is, is really the question. Let's go, let's go global. Let's go big picture global, and then we'll move down to uh, here in the U.S. Yeah, so we're, we're looking at, at, goodness, probably getting close to 120, 125, 130,000 confirmed cases. Now, that doesn't account for all the cases that are out there, but just the ones that have been tested. Uh, And as testing becomes more available in the United States, we're finding more and more cases throughout uh, the United States. So it's probably going to take a couple weeks for us to get a real picture of what this even looks like um, in the United States. Yeah. so what, where are we at then in the United States in terms of numbers? Let me pull it up here. Let me crunch the numbers. Uh, we're, we're at about 755. So that number will continue to climb, I yeah, think, absolutely. Over, the next, uh, over the next few weeks. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, we have our first reported cases here in the great state of Indiana where we are based. In fact, uh, I know of uh, – I saw a news report of a of – a, elementary school student in uh, just outside of Indianapolis that was confirmed as uh, having the coronavirus. And therefore, that elementary school uh, has shut down for two weeks. And then there's another case just, just north, north of here. Fort Wayne yeah. that uh, has been confirmed. And so this is something that's going to be, uh, you know, pretty much anyone listening to this podcast is probably going to at some level end up being indirectly at least impacted by this coronavirus. And we're seeing a lot of colleges uh, cancel courses and and uh, cancel residential classes. So if if that were to happen at Grace, I, I know Columbia University in New York City has done that. I know Ohio State has done something to that effect as well. And, yeah, and through, the, through the month of March, all residential courses at the Ohio State University. Do they have cases on campus at Ohio State? I've not seen any reported cases cases that I'm aware of. That feels like a big reaction to no, yeah. to, no, to nothing being on campus. But it is either the first or second largest you know, residential campus in the United States in terms of colleges. So I assume they're just trying to get out in front of it. Okay. But now, Doc, if they, <laughs> if Grace goes, if, if the college that you and I work at, yeah. if they go, hey, we're canceling all classes to the end of March. What is Matt Harmon going to do to make up that work? Is he going to have all his students Skype in? Like, what's the plan? Yeah, I haven't put a ton of uh, thought into that, but my guess is we would have to do some sort of either Skyping in uh, or probably more realistically would, would have to be I guess you could do maybe a Zoom kind of meeting kind of concept where everyone connects in. But more likely would just be I would record lectures that would make up for the missed in-class time. And then it would essentially convert to a kind of 
uh, online class until we resumed face-to-face meetings. Do you look forward to that? Not, a, not, in, the least. <laughs> not in the least. I know. I, I have a night class this this uh, this coming eight weeks, and I am thinking through like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Uh, and I think I think it's going to be just that. I think I would yeah. sit in front of my computer at my office and talk through my notes, uh, either live or recorded, and and have students listen to it. Yeah, less than ideal for sure. But uh, I, I will say that the uh, the coronavirus has had an impact on my own family, not my absolute like immediate nuclear family, but. Which was uh, a mistake, right? Right. As apparently, we a few from, from David's Bro- <laughs> David Brooks's perspective, yeah. If you want to go back to episode, I don't know what that was, I think six that was or two something ago. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, so my nephew competed in a special Olympics event out in Omaha, Nebraska, and apparently, it was discovered after the fact that the first confirmed case of the coronavirus in that area, that person attended that event, and I think was a participant in the event. Oh, goodness. So as a result, my uh, sister-in-law and my nephew are on a self-imposed two-week quarantine at home. Oh, goodness. Now, the self-imposed... Was it encouraged? Strongly by encouraged. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, basically, the from what I understand, the organizers of the event contacted all of the participants and their families and said, hey, here's the deal. We're strongly encouraging a self-imposed two-week home quarantine. And uh, yeah, so that was as of a couple of days ago that I think I found out about this. Yeah, two days ago. So they're like day or two or three. Uh, on the self-imposed quarantine. Any symptoms or anything going on? I mean, that you got to be so getting far. daily updates. None so them. far. Okay. None so far. So that's good. Um, another way this is impacting us is you and I have a conference we attend. Uh, yeah. Middle middle of April. Yep. Um, every other year. And uh, what would you? Mind, it's called uh, Together for the Gospel T four G. And would you mind breaking down a little bit about what that conference is and and what it's like, uh, what we've experienced there, and then uh, the email we got last night. Yeah, so this uh, Together for the Gospel conference began, I want to say, in 2006. That sounds right. And uh, really, it is a gathering of not just pastors, though that's kind of the sweet spot of kind of who they're targeting in a lot of ways in terms of the, the message and the content. Yeah. But uh, pastors and, and, and such who are interested in, in the connection between the gospel and, uh, and theology, and it really has become this mega conference. And I believe last year there were maybe 10, 12,000, or sorry, two years ago, 10 to 12,000 attendees, and it's hosted in the KFC Yum Center in downtown Louisville. Yeah. Which is a basketball arena, a massive, a massive, beautiful where, basketball. Yeah, arena. where the yeah. University of Louisville plays their uh, plays their basketball games, and so it's a great conference. The uh, sort of the key organizers are, are are men like Mark Dever, Lig Duncan, Al Moeller, and really, I guess those are the three main ones left at this point. There have been yeah. others who have been a part of the of the origins of that, and they but, have some regular speakers like John Piper. Yep. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of some other guys. David Platt, Matt Chandler, Kevin DeYoung. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, it's kind of become a a who's who of reformed evangelicals when it comes to uh, this this conference. And it is a ton of preaching. (laughs) It's a lot of preaching. preaching. Yeah. And uh, and also some great times of worship led by Bob Coughlin, and part of what makes that a unique experience is it's just piano. It's just him playing the piano and leading singing, and so you really hear the voices. Yeah, and so it's, it's incredible. It's a remarkable experience to hear twelve thousand voices, largely male voices, mm-hmm. uh, singing in a basketball arena, and just the sound and the effect of that is really quite moving. And they make a they make a CD of it every year, right? And you can you can buy the CD. And Not every the... year, but there's been four oh, okay. of them now that have been released. Huh. Um, and they also put out a little booklet every year with the with the different messages in it. Uh, and one of one of my favorite parts, because I'm I'm selfish, is they have a bookstore <laughs> called the yes. Zero Dollar Bookstore. Yes, and you walk around and you just get all these free books. Yeah, um, and not like low level, just okay books. I mean, they're 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 some mega authors from some mega publishers, and yeah. they're. They're wonderful. Like you almost need to bring a, a second bag just to yes. carry it around that day. Yes, and uh, and you and I both have enjoyed that uh, immensely. Right, and it's become a it's become a highlight that we look forward to every other year. And uh, we've in the last probably four or five times I've taken students, and you've kind of picked up that mantle and taken the leadership of that now with taking a group of students down. Yeah, I think we're taking twelve or thirteen this year, fourteen maybe students. Yes. Lord willing. Lord willing, because we got that email last night. And we were kind of, I had been looking because, you know, they're canceling, they're talking about canceling basketball games or or at least playing in empty arenas. Yes. Uh, and so I was like, this conference takes place in a basketball arena that they're thinking about having empty for the NCAA tournament. Right. So it doesn't take a lot to put those two things together. Correct. And so I, w- I had been searching their website looking for something, and last night we finally got an official statement from them about uh, the con- COVID-19. Yes, yeah. And uh, So ba- summarize that for us. Yeah, right? ba- basically their thought was, we are working with who? We are working with uh, the World the Health Rock or- Band? Oh, no, 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 yes. you mean the World Health Organization. Yes, the, yes. the band Who is coming to T4G. Yes. You well, heard it here first. That's a dated reference, I'm sure, for most of our, uh, <laughs> for most of our listening um, audience, perhaps, but... Uh, World Health Organization, they're working with the CDC uh, and local Louisville officials where the conference takes place uh, to determine whether they should go forward. And right now they're planning on it. Right. Uh, But it very much felt like a first step. Yeah. Yeah, it it very much did. And I'm sure part of it was they have to have been getting inquiries. A ton of questions. A ton of questions from people. And so in one sense, this just makes makes sense as a— Instead of, you know, dealing with all these inquiries, if we just make a public statement that says, essentially, we're looking into it, we're monitoring the situation closely, just hold on kind of thing, that, um, you know, that, that, that makes sense. That seems like a prudent thing to, uh, to do when it comes to this issue. So we'll see if it happens. I'm going to ask you for a prediction. <laughs> you want to? This I is, want a prediction about what's take. going to happen. Yes, absolutely. We need more hot takes. 
And then we're going to hold you accountable. To there you go. Take. Okay, sure. <laughs> because that's what happens with hot takes. They always get held accountable, right? You know, one of my favorite Twitter follows is freezing cold takes. Yeah, it's good. And they, good. they repost old oh, yeah. hot takes that were just wrong. It's great. It's I a, love it's that. It's fantastic. Yeah. So you're asking for my hot take. I'm, I'm asking for a hot take or a prediction about T4G. Okay. So I think they're going to cancel it. But I think they're going to live stream messages. So I think they'll have the, uh, the, the men who are going to speak. I think they will go ahead and speak in some context. They're not going to do it in the empty basketball arena. My, sure. my guess is maybe they'll do it on campus at Southern since that's right next door. Right down the street. Yep. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll get in the, me- the media studio at Southern and, or they'll get in the chapel maybe at Southern and deliver it and live stream it. But uh, my my hot take is I don't think this conference is going to actually happen as a gathering. Yeah, uh, I think I'm with you. I don't I don't think they're going to have this conference. I it just it would have to be trusting ten to twelve thousand people to say, you know what, I'm sick, I'm staying home. Yeah, and I just I just don't trust people to do that. No, at the end of the day. No, I think that uh, you know we're we're officially on record once this once this launches out into the uh, into the world to the world. But my hot take is I don't think that that will happen. Now, just to be clear, that is based on absolutely no inside knowledge. Yeah, we. I have no, no internal no. connections to people who make anything close to these kind of decisions when it comes to. You heard it here first. Matt Harmon has connections to T four G and knows yeah. everything that's going on. That's right. So. Uh, I guess we'll 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 test whether I have the gift of prophecy or not. So this segment will at least produce that. So All right. Well, speaking of coronavirus and getting sick, uh one of the things it calls for is rest. Yeah. Uh and this is something that came up at the end of our last not at the end, kind of kind of in the middle and yeah. it hit me in the moment like, "Ooh, we should have a conversation about rest." Yeah. So, uh Matt Harmon, could you maybe summarize for us um, how rest and work interplay uh, from from a biblical perspective in just a couple of minutes, sure. and 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 then we can have a, a broader conversation about rest. Right. When you look at the uh, just the creation account itself, the fact that you have the pattern of God creating in six days, and then noting that on the seventh day God rested certainly establishes this kind of pattern, this rhythm that Mm -hmm. God has built into creation itself of work is good, work is a a high and divine uh, calling, and yet it is not intended to be a constant state. God did not create the world to be in a constant state of work, that he built within it the rhythms of, of, of work and rest. And so you see that uh, playing out even as the Old Testament develops in terms of God instituting the Sabbath, where the Israelites were commanded to work six days a week, and then on the seventh day, they were commanded to rest, to stop their sort of normal kind of pattern of activity, whether it's working in the fields or those sorts of things, and to set aside time to devote towards worshiping the Lord, and to 
stopping of work activity, which when you sort of step outside of the biblical uh, record, even just from a scientific perspective, it becomes very clear that God made us to need rest. I've just been fascinated by the fact that God made us as human beings in such a way that our whole body has to shut down for an extended period of time every 24-hour cycle in order to uh, be able to function normally, right? Sure. Yeah, like a a third of that 24-hour cycle. Yeah, so what is that even—and I think that's something that was true before the fall. I don't think that human beings were just in this constant state of alertness uh, before the fall, and then sleep is the the result of that. I think that God built us that way. And even looking at not just human beings, but even just creation itself, you see that embedded in other creatures as well, this pattern of wakefulness and activity, and then mm-hmm. a stopping of that. So, Yeah, and, and there's no better way for us to say, God, I'm not in control of this, than yeah. to than to lay down and, and, and sleep. Yeah. You know, to say that, you know what, I, I'm going to be defenseless for the next however long, six to eight hours. Right. And and say, God protect me. And the, the psalmists talk about that. Yeah. I, I think it's Psalm uh, th- three or four where, where it says, Lord, I lay myself to sleep. I lay down to sleep, but it's you that uh, keeps me through the night. Yeah. Um, and even Psalm 127, I think a lot of people are familiar with the opening lines of it, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Yeah, sure, mm-hmm. great. But then that psalm goes on to talk about how the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Hmm. Like sleep is a gift. That it's something that God has given us paired right with that sort of, yeah, unless the Lord is behind it, your efforts are not ultimately going to pan out. But at the same time, not only does God give work, he gives rest as a gift as well. Hmm. Uh, could you talk about your own uh, resting habits a little bit and, and what they look like and, and how you excel at them? And uh... Well, uh, I'll start with I don't excel at them. <laughs> uh, I, I do not think this is an area that I'm particularly good at. And it's interesting because as I was talking with my lovely wife about this topic as we were going to discuss it on the podcast, she says to me, uh, oh, you're so good at that. And I'm like, I really don't think I am. Yeah. Because uh, even even when I think about the sort of the, the rhythms of my week, so to speak, that uh, I, th- I reflect on it and think I don't have a lot of time where I'm not probably doing something. So even if I'm watching a basketball game in the evening or, or you know, relaxing, I'm nine times out of ten, I've got my laptop open or I'm reading something or I'm just sort of maybe kind of chipping away at a project or something that doesn't require my full engagement. Yeah. But uh, or maybe it's just, you know, responding to emails or doing some of the more mundane tasks of my everyday life. And so uh, I find that for me, because I tend to be a very performance-driven kind of person, that it's actually very challenging for me to actually fully engage in rest. Yeah, I, I, I find similar things. I think I'm pretty good at 
backing off of what I'm doing at my job. So, so when I when I leave the seminary, I, I really generally don't touch email. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pretty regularly don't touch work out outside of this outside of the seminary building. Sure. Um, however, there's there's always other things. So I'm either working on another project, kind of like you said, or things need to get done around the house, yeah. or I just feel the need to to move and 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 do lots of lots of little things and. Before I know it, we've hit you know ten, eleven o'clock at night. I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to, <laughs> yeah, I, I need to, I need to stop. Um, what uh, since since we're both not excellent at this, what 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 would healthy rest look like? Um, because yeah. I, I, and maybe I'll throw this wrench in there. Uh, culture uh, at, at large mm-hmm. uh, seems to be pretty pretty poor at rest, particularly when you get more urban, I think. It, t- it tends to be a little bit uh, worse at, at rest. Um, and then they've come in with the, there, there's a new term that's sort of been working its way through the culture called self-care mm-hmm. uh, that I find that I find interesting. And it, it kind of maybe comes at this from a different angle. Uh, and yeah, just want to just hear your reflections on those things. Yeah, I think that it's, it's definitely... There is a busyness that is a cultural value that we often don't take uh, enough notice of. And what I mean by that is how often, think about this, both your own response and the response that others give you. When you ask someone, how are you doing? Arguably, you could say the most common response besides a generic good. Yeah is busy. I'm really busy. Yeah. 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 Busy. Like things are, things are going well, but I'm busy. And then, you know, the, the expectation is that maybe you list a couple things, right? Yeah. So I'm really busy with my classes or I'm really busy at work. This is a kind of a busy season. Like how many times you think, think back, if you've asked that question, if someone says, I'm doing really well, I feel really rested. Yeah, when people say that, I go, "Well, you're lazy." Yeah, you know, that, 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 that's sort of my my first thought. Is like, <laughs> "Well, the rest of us are working like dogs here. What the heck are you that's doing?" Right. Yeah, un- unless it's someone who's maybe been sick. Yeah, right. If, if someone's been really sick With and the they COVID nineteen or some other you know <laughs> global epidemic, pandemic, whatever the term is, uh, that you know that. The response then is like, oh, oh, good. I'm glad you've gotten some rest. Like, I know that you've not been feeling well, so I'm glad that you've rested. But Or they're coming off vacation, maybe. Yeah, yeah that's be, another that'd one. That would be the other place I would expect sure. to hear that. But. Sure, but it, it's just not common. And like you said, for many of us, in the back of our minds, we're thinking, well, that must be nice. The rest of us are uh, working like crazy to try to keep up, you know? So I do think that... That's one of those dynamics that there is a cultural expectation, and even even in ministry, it's not unique to ministry. It's plenty of realms where it's common, but I think in particular in ministry, there is an expectation that you're busy. Yeah. That if you are in ministry, that you are supposed to be busy, that you're supposed to be uh, constantly on the clock, constantly 
meeting with people, prepping for preaching or teaching. Always available. Leading meetings, always available for the crisis, those kinds of things. Yeah, I think that's part of our cultural expectation. And some of that feeds into or is fed into by what we talked about last episode in terms of such an emphasis on productivity and efficiency, that, mm-hmm. that there's this expectation of you're constantly trying to figure out how can I get more efficient? How can I be more productive and more effective? And I think that there is there is a bit of a turn in some circles of recognizing that that's not the end-all and be-all, that's not sustainable long-term. It's not sustainable long-term. And I, I think I find that I'm more productive, actually, when I, when I stop working, when I, you know, if I'm constantly taking things home and working longer hours, I find that I'm less productive during those hours. Yeah. There can certainly be a diminishing returns principle that kicks in when it comes to just, I'm going to work an extra couple hours tonight to, to try to get ahead or try to get done. Yeah. And, and I find this with uh, my, my friends that are like, that constantly go like, oh, I'm so busy. I was up till 2 a.m. working on email or I was doing X, Y, or Z. And I, I just had a thought like, and I've never said this to them. So maybe this is the first time they're hearing this publicly, but man, go to bed at 10, you know, <laughs> sleep a yeah. full eight uh, yeah. and then and then get back at it the next morning. I think you'll probably be more productive. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of a, uh, one of my most uh, surprising interactions with Don Carson. This was when I was a seminary student. Oh boy. And uh, I, I was a good Don Carson story. Yeah. So I was doing an independent study under, under Dr. Carson and it was getting to the end of the semester, and I realized I, I'm not going to be able to finish this by the – I think the deadline was was like a Friday afternoon. So on, say, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, I stopped in his office, and with sort of fear and trembling coursing through my body, asked for an extension, and I said – if I, you know, could I get this done if I pulled a couple, you know, all-nighter or two in there and, like, got something to you? Could I get it done? Could I get something to you by Friday afternoon? Yeah, I could. But I don't think it would be very good. And so I'd, I would appreciate if you'd consider giving me an extension till Monday to be able to produce something that is far better. And he said something that very much surprised me because I knew a little bit about his own sort of patterns of work and lack of rest. So hold on. <laughs> Could we talk about what was the silence like when you finished that question before <laughs> he spoke? What, what was the feeling that, that you were having? Yeah. Um, Let's dwell on that for just yeah, a second. Intensified fear and trembling, sure, to be to be honest, because uh, I, I had no idea what my prospects were of actually getting that. And given the fact that he was well known for being someone who just didn't sleep a lot. So he would, uh, it was pretty well known that he would go to bed, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night and then get up at two in the morning and he would write and do his research from, you know, two to six when the world was quiet and everybody else was sleeping. He was, you know, writing away. That's incredible. Yeah. And the fact that you know when that gets known you know how do you ask someone like that for 
I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, how do you ask that person for an right. extension? But but you know, you you walked in there and, and did yeah, it. I so did. what happened next? So I was pleasantly surprised when he said to me, uh, absolutely, I'm I'm happy to grant you that extension. And he and then he paused and he said to me, Sometimes the godliest thing you can do is get a good night of sleep. You know, I've read that in he, he, he uses that quote elsewhere. Yeah, I've, I've seen that in a book of his before, yeah. where he says the godliest thing you can do is get a get a good night of sleep. Yeah, and so that was both uh, surprising and encouraging, and I think that it was one of those early sort of signposts along the way for me of realizing that that rest is an important piece of of the rhythm and routine of life. And I will say we're. <laughs> It could be saying we could be heard as saying like, "Oh my goodness, those guys that sleep, you know, three hours a night that do all this work aren't resting, aren't trusting." You know, they that we could be heard as saying that. Sure. Uh, however, I think, and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but um, there are some people that are just gifted that way. They they need to sleep only three to four hours a night, where I much more feel like I need to sleep seven to eight hours a night. Yeah. Uh, to feel rested and productive. Sure. Um, and there was even a time in seminary where I prayed that I would only be able to sleep four to five hours a night so I could be more productive. Yeah. And the Lord has not granted that for me. <laughs> yes. And I do think another feature of this whole discussion of rest is not just on the sort of daily or kind of weekly rhythm, but but there are seasons of life, right, where an extended period of time where you might say, well, because of my work or because of school, this next eight weeks is just going to be really busy. Yeah. And so I'm not going to get as much sleep and rest as I would like to or need to. And so it's fair to recognize that, to say, you know, normally I'd, I'd get into this kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, a little Ooh. frog in the throat Ooh, there. Yeah. Normally, I would get into this rhythm of, you know, work and productivity and then rest, but I'm going to have to maybe borrow a little bit from the rest time, knowing that at the end of this, there's a week break. And then after that, okay, I can kind of recharge my batteries yeah, a little recalibrate. bit. recalibrate. Yeah. yeah. And that can happen in, in not just in the academic world, but even in, you know, you think of the, the accountant who does taxes, well, this time of year right now is just crazy busy, like lots of responsibilities, lots of clients, you know, who want their taxes done. And they're probably working, you know, 15, 16 hour days sometimes. Yeah. And then they maybe get into the summer. And again, I don't know the rhythms of the accountants, but maybe there's a season where it's a little less intense. And so they're able to say, you know, I can take a two week vacation here and, and recharge my batteries. Yeah. And, uh, I think that touches on something that I see a lot, uh, and I don't know if it would be explicitly spoken, but it's certainly, I I feel like I've heard it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's working its way through through our campus and through the Gen Z population, but kind of the idea that we are meant to run as humans, and we should run as humans, Mm -hmm. always fully rested and ready to go. Uh, yeah. that, that this should be our regular feeling in life, that we are uh, uh, going out there and we are fully rested and, and ready to go. And 
Uh, Matt, is that your experience in life that you are constantly fully rested and ready to go? Almost never. Almost never. <laughs> if you had to put a percentage on it, where's your battery at on any given day? I think my sort of normal operating range is probably in the 85 to 90. Okay. I'd say that's pretty normal. Now, obviously, depending on circumstances, it can dip as low as 40 or 50 sometimes. I feel like on a, on a day where, depending on what's going on in my life, I might come into the classroom and feel like I am running very low and lack the sort of normal energy and perhaps enthusiasm for the subject that I'm teaching that day or, you know, especially looking ahead maybe. I'm not a person who's energized by meetings. I don't tend to enjoy meetings. What? <laughs> I know it's a it's a spoiler alert for you, I'm sure. But uh at the same time, you know, just extensive interaction with people tends to run my batteries low. It's not that I don't like people, it's just that it 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 wears me out hmm. to interact with a lot of people. And so if I have back-to-back days or an extended period uh, you know, we've we've traveled together, taking students on trips. I think we both have a little bit of a similar experience of we love students. We want to be They're with great. them. Yep. We love to take them places and expose them to things. But during those trips, we also like to get a little distance and say, all right, everyone can just kind of go do their own thing for a little while. And you and I abscond off to a coffee shop and have some coffee and we read. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, on those trips when I feel like just students bearing down on me, I'll, I wake up far earlier, I think, on the road than I do at home. Yeah, where I'm up at five five thirty, and I'm I'm just just to get some alone time, you know, to to do some reading, to uh, respond to any emails that need to be responded to, and and I think I, I think I do quite a bit of. I am more intentional about reading when I travel than when I'm actually at home. Yeah, which is, which is interesting. I also think that one of the ways that we can sort of live out the the one another piece of the Christian life in connection with rest mm-hmm. is, you know, you think of certain people who often will struggle just because of life circumstance to get rest. So you think of young moms, right? The young sure. mom who's who's got a couple of kids and, you know, the husband does his best, but he's working 50, 60 hours a week and trying to find ways to, well, how does a young mom get rest when you've got, you know, multiple little kids who need constant attention and thinking about, well, you know, Kate and I are in a stage of life where our kids are a little bit more self-sufficient. And so offering to, yeah, we'll watch your kids so you you and your husband can go out and, and have a nice evening together without kids clinging on you or harassing you. So even just thinking about are there ways that we can help others experience rest if we have the opportunity to do so. So Matt, maybe, maybe this is turning a bit of a corner. What are what are some practical ways uh, that, that you rest? Well, one of the things that I try to do is get windows during the week where I'm not uh, working on the laptop or even reading for lecture prep or something like that. Usually those try, I try to fit those into evenings or into afternoons. And also, I'm not good at this, but I'm trying. Putting the phone away. 
Just yeah, putting the, the phone, phone aside. Is tough. Yeah. Because there's an element where, of course, you can say, well, gosh, I'm just relaxing. So I'm just, you know, flipping through Twitter or Facebook or whatever or Instagram. But inevitably, you know, boom, there pops up the email. Oh, I'm reminded. Oh, I should be doing that. You know, like it, like the phone can actually provoke that sense of I should be doing something right now. I should be doing something right now. Yeah. And setting it aside and trying to get away from it a little bit. I'm not especially good at that, but I do think that that is one way. And also, for me, part of it is the is the mental game. It's the it's really okay if I sit down for a Saturday afternoon and watch some college football and I'm not doing anything while I'm doing that. Yeah. That's really hard for me. I feel like I should be doing something. So that's more of the mental sort of spiritual side of things of getting, trying to get mental rest, where even if I'm not physically doing something, I'm so harassed by what I think I should be doing that it's not really that restful. It just stirs up anxiety or um, sort of that stress in me of, oh gosh, I should be doing that. Or like, uh, I should really be paying attention to that, getting to that. And Ultimately, it comes down to a lack of trust in God's sovereignty. Hmm. It, at the bottom line, it's the thinking that I'm going to get things done if I'm just productive, and that's what matters, as opposed to, well, Lord, this is the time you've given me, and these are the things you put on my plate, and this is what I can get done, and the rest I'm you know, I'm trusting that you will accomplish on, on your own terms. It's not overt, but right. it's, it's more, more uh, assumptions that you're making. Right. And another thing, too, is sometimes— I find that you know if I if I have a full day of teaching and meetings and then I have something in the evening, like on Thursday nights I have my mentor group and that's good and I enjoy that immensely. But after you know a full day of teaching in the morning and then the afternoon and then having that in the evening, I think it's perfectly legitimate to then say, okay, I'm going to take Friday morning off, whereas I'm sort of buying back the sure. normally a time where I would be down. I'm I'm engaged in work. So I'm going to try to buy that back at another window during the week where otherwise I might normally work, but in light of this I'm going to try to buy that back. Hmm. What about you? Yeah, I I usually I I can fall into the millennial trap of you know what? I'm going to quote unquote rest and I'm going to sit down and watch Netflix for X number of hours. So mm-hmm. I usually try to find, and I don't think that is rest necessarily. I think it can be, but I don't. Right. I don't think it's necessarily rest. But I usually try to find some non-vocational things to do, kind of, kind of like you're saying. So um, when I read or do email, lots of times it's things that are in my field, uh, and I do. I enjoy my field. I, I like my field. Right. Um, but uh, but if I'm going to read and it's going to be non-vocational, I want it to yeah. be a novel or something like that. Uh, or it's, I'm going to do something totally different, like, uh, well, we'll get into one of them in the one thing I like this week. But, uh, you know, it, it, it could be anything from from building something, creating something, or uh, doing some work around my house. I, I find restful. Like, I, I find some enjoyment out of that while giving me something to do. So, so non-vocational work. Gotcha. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And... I- I'll say one more thing before we move on because, again, we are (laughs) getting long on our topics here. But uh, I think that 
this can be a special challenge for pastors that, or really anyone who maybe works non sort of traditional hours, right? If you don't work a sort of traditional eight to five kind of job, it can perhaps feel challenging to get rest as necessary when it comes to uh, trying to find those windows. But I know for pastors, when you think about for a lot of people, you could perhaps do a Sunday, um, a Sunday kind of day of rest, not getting legalistic in terms of saying you have to avoid certain things, but like sure. just say, you know, on a, as a general rule, Sunday, well, for the pastor, that's a day of work. You know, the, the, you know, the being a part of the service, often preaching, like that's a day of work for the, for the pastor in many cases. So trying to take a Monday or something, but even then, you know, can you disconnect entirely where it's, you're not on call, so to speak, that maybe there's another elder who can sort of pick up the, the, the slack of if there's a crisis, another elder can respond to it. And the pastor who preached or something can simply take that full day to disengage, reconnect with family, and, you know, kind of recharge their batteries. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, any any resources you 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 would recommend uh, on the topic of rest? Yeah. So I've got two. One is by David Murray. It's a book called Reset, hmm. which uh, has some really helpful biblical and theological and practical help for thinking about getting better rhythms of life when it comes to work and rest and avoiding burnout. And then the second one. Another small book, even smaller, is a book by Christopher Ash called Zeal Without Burnout hmm. that I think is not just applicable for ministry people, but people in general in terms of being a passionate follower of Christ, using your time and energy well, and yet not doing it in a way that burns you out and, and causes some disastrous consequences. What about you? Yeah, yeah. So one book I recently read, uh, The Common Rule by uh, yeah. Justin Early, uh, which I believe came out in 2019, maybe late 2018. Uh, and in there he goes, he he walks through habits of purpose. Uh, and one of the best things he does is he includes technology into his habits. So so getting rid of uh, uh, turning off the phone for a day. And he, he has these different habits that help us focus, help us rest, uh, and uh flourish, I would say, as Christians um, in a very, very busy world. Um, And so I would highly recommend his stuff. Uh, Maybe you don't need to buy the book, but if you can find the habits online, I mean, they're they're gold. So Mm -hmm. I I mean, just uh, the common rule, Justin Early. Uh, I think that the habits are worth it. Gotcha. All right. Who's our athlete for episode 10? Yeah, that's a great question. So since um, we really did not discuss this. No, we didn't. so uh, some, as we, as we read through uh, our list here, uh, Fran Tarkenton, uh, a quarterback yes. for the Vikings, I believe. Way back in the day, uh, yeah. Eli Manning, uh, Chipper Jones. Baseball now, yes. Uh, I know. Chipper Jones, yeah. Uh, Walt Frazier. I Nick like Legend. One. I like that one. Uh, <laughs> Steve Nash, uh, O Canada. Uh, uh, Pele. <laughs> Uh, the Brazilian soccer player, yeah, uh, who I read just the other day had seven children. You just, just a lot of kids. Anyway, uh, uh, Lionel Messi, uh, also a, a a great soccer player. Do you want to run through your? Yeah, there've been uh, pandering to Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. So there've been three uh, pretty legendary Ohio State quarterbacks who've worn the number ten. Rex Kern, who. 
led them to a national championship in 1968. Art Schleister, who was a uh, a young phenom who then ended up kind of flushing away his professional football career by getting uh, into gambling. And then Troy Smith, hmm. who won the Heisman Trophy back in 2006, also wore number 10. So a solid number for Ohio State quarterbacks. Who do you like? Okay, well, uh, at the risk of alienating some listeners, uh, I, we are not going to have two straight weeks of soccer, soccer players. Soccer players. No, I so, agree. Sorry. As much as I like Pele. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable crossing Chipper Jones off the list. Solid baseball player, but not yeah. historically great. Not historically great. Uh, did name his daughter Shay after the Mets stadium because he played so well in that stadium. <laughs> okay. So, all right. And uh, I can't go with Eli Manning. I or I don't know if I can go with the, with Fran Tarkenton either. I mean, that's a throwback. But I the only reason I'd go with Frank is because of the last name Tarkenton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, he he was really one of the first. Running quarterbacks, yeah. really, but yeah. Footage of him is fun to watch. Yeah, uh, on NFL films, he he was sort of the precursor to Johnny Manziel. Mm-hmm. Is really who who we're talking about there. Um, so that that if I if I'm getting our narrowing down right, that brings us to Walt Frazier and Steve Nash, both point guards. Yeah, I want to go with Steve Nash. Oh, I want to go Walt Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. This is why we should do some show prep on the front end, right? <laughs> Goodness. All right, all right. Make make your case for Steve. I I understand that within a certain telling of NBA history, Walt Frazier plays a key role. Mm-hmm. But Steve Nash was is he is he six two? He's uh Six six foot, I think. I think he's yeah, six he's foot. small, and uh, not especially athletic in terms of by NBA standards. And yet, he for a stretch of time was arguably one of the two or three best players in the NBA for a several year period, despite the fact that he could not rely upon his athleticism. And so. Um, I'm going to argue that he's six foot three. Yeah. Okay. Six three. That's which still by NBA standards is which, small. I, I have a story about. I stood next to Steve Nash one time. He's not six three. Okay. He's not taller than I'm six two. He's not taller than me. He okay. might be a little shorter. Yeah. Than so me. one yeah. of those inflated heights. So anyway. All right. Go ahead and make your case for your, for, for the, for your Nick. So. And it needs to be brief because this episode is... Is it getting long? Spiraling oh, out goodness. of control I should keep long. time over here. Um, <laughs> Walt Frazier uh, played uh, for the New York Knicks, uh, won two championships as a player, yeah. uh, something that Steve Nash did not do. Okay. Uh, and uh, and uh, not only has been an excellent... Was an excellent player, he's been an excellent broadcaster. And so you can catch him on... Madison Square Garden Network. I almost said MSG. That's pandering to our New York crowd. That doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and so he is on there, and he is one of the most interestingly dressed individuals That's in true. sports. That's true. Uh, and so I, I think he's a unique character. Uh, if you have not seen a 30 for 30, When the Garden Was Eden, speaking of Madison Square Garden, yeah. totally worth it. Okay. Totally worth it. But I since I went 
since I really pushed for David Wright, <laughs> I will allow you to make the final call here. Well, here's what's going to push me over the edge with Steve Nash. He's Canadian. Do we we have one Canadian listener from what I understand? I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that when it comes to broadening the international scope of our appeal. Wow. Okay. I mean, you know, how many times are we going to get to go with a Canadian until we get to Wayne Gretzky at 99? Until we get to Wayne Gretzky at 99. Like, that's a ways away. Well, hey, there's some other ones in there. But, yeah, I, I hear you. All right. So, Steve Nash? I don't want to twist your arm on this. But I, I, handed, I handed this over to you. Yeah. I'm going to go with Steve Nash. Steve Nash it okay, is. Okay, Steve Nash it is. All right. One thing you like this week, John. Okay. Um, one thing, a non-vocational thing that I started doing this week, or not this week, but the last couple of weeks, I've been making soft pretzels from flour, from scratch okay. at home, and it's been just a blast. It's okay. been a lot of fun. I guess the, the pressing question that I have is, are those pretzels making you thirsty? <laughs> little Seinfeld reference. <laughs> always. Always. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice little... Nice little hobby you're picking it's, up there. It's yeah. been fun, yeah, okay. and they're delicious. Okay, oh my all right. Well, I, I'm I'm happy to test that hypothesis if you want to bring one my way. You so. know what? They don't last very long. They're they're so good. Maybe when we do the uh, premarital uh, counseling coming yeah, up in the weeks ahead, that's we right. Could, uh, we could work on that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. All right. For me, my my one thing I like this week is the fact that this past week was uh, the beginning of the Indiana High School basketball uh, sectional tournaments. And so just Indiana basketball, high school basketball at its best in terms of the hysteria and the, hmm. the close games and the intensity. And, and uh, it was fun to see my own uh, Lakeland Christian Academy, where I used to coach and where my wife still teaches, uh, won only their second sectional game in program history. Nice. Now they've only been in the sectional competitions the last probably eight years i think now so that's been that was fun and just a a fun time of year that i enjoy with my boys so well between coronavirus rest march madness pretzels pretzels we by definition have accomplished our mission of covering our various and sundry topics and so until next time The Lord bless y'all real good. 